life force. Is there universal goodness? Hello, my name is Stephen Russell Lacey. This is the third podcast of a series exploring spiritual questions and asking about suffering and why life is so unfair, one of the great questions of life. In this episode, I ask whether there is a universal goodness. We notice a seeming random hurt and misery in the world, which suggests there is no life force behind the universe, no power of justice or goodness or love, no divine source of life. Despite the reality of suffering in the world with its decay, disease and death, one point immediately arises. Is there not also an instinct for growth, for healing and beauty around in nature? Some would say these amount to a reality of universal goodness, a life force to balance all that is bad. Spiritually minded biologists find an awe-inspiring, loving and wise design in the biochemical intricacies of the living cell. They notice the incredible creative functioning of the neurological brain beyond what humans have ever programmed into their computers. Every day we are finding out more about living bodies in the natural world. One can write about these creatures but you've got to see them in their stunning variety of colour and form. When you look at photographs of life, you see incredible things. They are found in the depth of the ocean, under a microscope, on a mountain, anywhere. In all animals, and also in our own human bodies, we consciously taste and swallow food. And then the digestive canal acts without any help in converting the food into energy. And several naturalists have written whole books regarding instinctive behaviour and nature. The creative force behind the natural world seems to have implanted a love of offspring in all creatures. It has built something into mammals that protect against predators. Birds automatically build nests for their young, which they feed and defend. Without anything teaching them, all these creatures navigate unerringly during their annual migration. Plants spring to life. Is there not also an inflow of creative design into bodily growth without human technology to make it happen? Like the development of the embryo during gestation and the transformation of body and mind from human infancy into adulthood. Antibodies will appear in the bloodstream to counter disease germs. This, I would say, is an example of how an inflow of healing maintains a balance of organic life. Counselling and other quality human relationships also show this healing inflow. Inspiration to use helpful words encourages hope for those with negative moods. The insight for saying the right thing offers comfort and calm to those suffering from physical pain. 
Although beauty and art seems to have gone out of fashion, it is still very much around in nature, like the immense splendour observed by the latest telescopes looking at the night sky. Beauty can be said to be something to do with harmony and balance and rhythm. It captures our attention, it satisfies and raises our mind. The philosopher Roger Scruton suggests that living without an awareness of beauty is like living in a spiritual desert. He argues that the artists of the past were aware that life was full of chaos and suffering, but that they had a remedy for this, and the remedy was beauty, and he reckons that a beautiful work of art brings consolation in sorrow and affirmation in joy. It shows human life to be worthwhile. I would say that beauty is the spirit within the natural degree of existence. In his poem, Ode on a Grecian Urn, John Keats wrote, Beauty is truth, truth beauty. That is all ye know on earth, and all ye need to know. And spiritual philosopher Emanuel Swedenborg suggests what it is that arouses our feeling that a human face is beautiful. He thinks it is not the face itself, but the affection shining from it. There is a spirit within the natural that stirs our feelings, not the natural on its own. Raphael Campo, a physician poet, wrote, Even in some of the most painful moments I've witnessed as a doctor, I find a sense of beauty, that our brains are wired to register another person's pain, to want to be moved by it, and do something about it is profoundly heartening. Well, you might be saying that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. You're probably right. Likewise, perhaps appreciating a life force of goodness within nature is a matter of individual differences. It's a matter of whether one person has spiritual intuition or not, and not another. But I would suggest this is why religious and spiritual belief systems advocate self-reflection. We are beset with the radio, with the television and print media, with social media, with film, all telling us all the negative stuff about natural disasters and disease, bad economic forecasts. Many voices express uneasy feelings about all sorts of bad news. Who doesn't need help to appreciate the positive? Not just being aware of hardship and pain, but also learning to discover what uplifts the human spirit and offers deeper happiness. Religious and spiritual beliefs can inspire confidence, hope and persistence. Another aspect of the life force is thought to be a hidden working of providence, masked by troubles and difficulties in life. So the question arises, if it is true that the operation of providence in life is hidden from view, then how do we know it exists? The answer I find helpful is that only when we look at the bigger picture can we notice how events can conspire to create a good outcome in the longer run. 
It is often impossible to assess from our limited perspective whether a single setback we suffer is good or bad. Nevertheless, don't we tend to easily jump to negative conclusions? I'm reminded of an ancient Taoist parable that tells of an old man and his son who lived alone in poor conditions. Their only possession of value was a horse. One day, the horse ran away. The neighbours came by to offer sympathy, telling the old man how unlucky he was. How do you know? asked the old man. The following day, the horse returned, bringing with it several wild horses, which the old man and his son locked inside their gate. This time, the neighbours hurried over to congratulate the old man on, on his good fortune. How do you know? asked the old man. The next thing that happened was that his son tried to ride one of the horses, the wild horses, but fell off and broke his leg. The neighbours were quick to tell the old man that this was a disastrous turn of events. Yes, you can guess what he said. How do you know? Well, soon after the army came through, press-ganging young men into service to fight a battle far, far away. The soldiers took all the local young men, except the old man's son, because his leg was broken. Like the neighbours, we often don't notice any presence of providence in our lives because assumptions and disappointments so fill our state of mind. But as Swedenborg wrote, we are allowed to see divine providence from behind, but not face to face. And when we are in a spiritual state, not in a materialistic state, seeing divine providence from behind, but not face to face, is seeing it after the fact, but not before. Swindberg also points out that perception of the working of providence as it occurs would compel belief in God, rather than allow us to remain free to think what we please as human beings. Otherwise, we would become like robots. He wrote that we can still know and acknowledge it in a more general way. He said, People who have become spiritual and have become wise by casting off their sense of self-importance see divine providence in the whole world and in every least part of it. They see it if they look at natural events. They see it if they look at civic events. They see it if they look at spiritual events, in the way things coincide and the way they follow in sequence, in purposes and means and results, in useful events, in forms, in things great and things small. The basis of his idea is that the divine intention is that we act freely and rationally. Now, of course, I would say that no one can prove God's providence exists and its acknowledgement must remain an act of religious faith. We can notice its results, however, when we look backwards in life. Soren Kierkegaard wrote, Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Only looking back in time can we see blessings in disguise. Winston Churchill suffered from a lisp, being unable to pronounce the letter S. He fought to overcome this, but never quite succeeded. Instead, he gradually made it a distinctive part of his oratory, 
turning a liability into an asset. He suffered worse from the episodes of clinical depression he had throughout his life. He referred to his dark moods as his black dog. His parents were aristocrats. His father was a famous politician and his mother an American socialite. He did not have a close relationship with them and was largely brought up by professional nannies and by attending boarding schools. We might wonder whether his recurring depressive episodes heightened his ability to realistically assess the threat that Germany posed. Was it because he had battled illness and despair during his whole life that he could convey to others that they could overcome despair, even in the bleak period of 1940? If so, looking back on his life, his suffering resulted in persistence and optimism, characteristics he employed to lift his nation in its darkest hour. He wrote, We shall draw from the heart of suffering itself the means of inspiration and survival. Another person who suffered is Helen Keller, who became both blind and deaf and nearly suffered a fatal illness, all when she was just 19 months of age. Seemingly sentenced to a life of isolation, Helen made a dramatic breakthrough at the age of six when she learned to communicate with the help of her teacher, Annie Sullivan. Unlike many disabled people of her era, Helen refused to live in seclusion. Instead, she achieved fame as a writer, humanitarian and social activist with understanding for other handicapped people. She wrote, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired and success achieved. A third example is Cahil Gibran. Cahil Gibran is famous for his writing, which is full of lyrical outpourings and expresses his deeply religious and mystical nature. He was no stranger to personal suffering. His relationship with his father was difficult and often strained. Not surprising, as the father was a rough man with a bad temper who alienated his wife and children. This autocratic, temperamental man was hostile to Cahill's artistic nature. The father was not a loving person. As a child, Khalil experienced the social and cultural disruption of exile in America when his mother took the children abroad to escape from poverty and feudal corruption. At 19 years of age, family tragedy struck again when tuberculosis killed his sister, half-brother and mother. Further trouble came on his shoulders when he was aged 27, when his girlfriend decided not to marry him because of their race and age differences. Yet he was able to share his take on suffering, which was positive. He suffered from failing health in his 40s when he died of cancer of the liver. He wrote, Out of suffering have emerged the strongest souls. The most massive characters are seared with scars. To sum up, I would say there is a life force of what is good. 
Many believe it is universal love and light behind this. It shows itself in instinct, in healing, in growth, in beauty, and in providence, all flowing into the world. Some people suppose that this life force is only a way of thinking, that the ideas of beauty, of providence, of love and of light are merely human constructions. They think of them as just terms, ones that human beings use, but are not a real part of the world, in the same way that trees and rocks are. In other words, they see them as mere ideals to guide our behaviour. But I would say the life force exists outside of individual human thought and action, as well as within it. After all, there was vegetable growth, there was animal instinct, healing and beauty well before human beings came along. Hasn't the spirit of love and light a transpersonal reality? 